So we can have great hope. We can have great hope because we will not go through the tribulation. And the Lord will protect his own from all deception. And the third point, the gospel message will ultimately prevail. Matthew 24, 14 says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. You mean to tell me, how in the world is that going to happen? How is everyone going to hear the gospel during the tribulation when the Antichrist is killing everybody who knows Christ? Come back next week and we'll look at that. Let's all stand. Don't stand. (laughs) Well, sorry to leave you hanging for four months. I really did... <clears throat> want to preach that message and then pancreatitis and gallbladder taken out I wish you could have seen me in the hospital room in my gown typing on my laptop getting ready for that second sermon telling their, the nurses I'm preaching Sunday sure you are <laughs> so I am so thankful now I know what pastors feel like when they say join us next week Lord willing that's why they say Lord willing It was God's will that my dear friend, you are a dear friend, Steve Etner, coming through for me on that weekend. What a privilege it is to preach it this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, just listening to that song reminds me of Romans 5 where it says we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God and now we have access into this grace in which we stand And we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. Old Testament saints, high priests, if they came into the Holy of Holies with one sin, they were consumed by your fire. And now we can come to you and we cry, Abba, Father, and we're your possession. We're your child. And that gives us great joy. Now be with us this morning. Father, your word says you can do far more exceedingly above all we ask or think. And so I pray you do that this morning in our lives. Help me to speak clearly your word and give glory to Christ. For it's in his name, amen. Amazing grace to the very end. It says in this gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 24, 14 says, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. You're at a little disadvantage if you didn't hear part one four months ago. So if you ever go back, I think it's in the uh, Be the Good News series, Hope in a World that is Falling Apart. But I'll try to keep you updated. You know, there's a reason in the last few years of my dad's life, he would have his TV channel on all the Westerns when I would go in there. I mean, he went from Fox News to Gunsmoke in a very short period of time. And I'd go over there and I'd say, Dad, why, why, why don't you listen to the, the news anymore? And he said, oh, son, who needs all the bad news? Because you can't tell me that there's not enough good news in this world to at least put one hour program on. And as I thought about that, My sweet dad is in heaven now, and he's getting an eternity of good news in the presence of Jesus Christ, and I'm sure he's pleased with that. But I think deep down inside, we feel like my dad. World peace, we want this world to get better. 
Pastor Phil said last week, true peace will only come when Christ sets up his kingdom. You see, so the world won't get better. It'll get worse. The kingdom of God will come, but there'll be great tribulation before that. When I was a kid, eight years old, I loved a group called the Fifth Dimension. And I'd watch it, whenever they'd come on the program, they were just so exciting to watch. And they sang a song called Age of Aquarius. And I would just love that song. And I asked my mom, what does that song mean? And she'd say, well, what it means is there's a time when the planets will line up. Uh, her theology wasn't totally lined up yet. But uh, it's a time when the planets will line up and Jupiter, you know, and, uh, and then peace will be here and, and, and love. And, you know, I said, wow, my mom's smart. Little did I know she's just repeating the lyrics of that song. Uh, and I'd go to bed and I'd try to figure that song out, you know. When the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars and then peace would guide the planets and then love would steer the stars, right? And you're like, and then I still didn't know what it meant, but I just thought it's, it's going to be so good when total peace comes to this earth. And as a little eight-year-old, I thought it would, but as I grew up, I realized that the world's not getting better. It's getting worse and we can't run and hide till all the wickedness is over, can we? We're never called to run and hide. I know that would be uh, our first instinct to say, I'd love to just hide in a bunker until all this evil is over. But God calls us to stand and fight. In the uh, book of Revelation, the church of Smyrna, Jesus told them, be faithful to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. The crown of life. In the Apostle Paul's last letter he wrote before he was beheaded, he tried to prepare Timothy and his church at Ephesus for the persecution that was coming. And he said this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. And beloved, we are in those terrible times that Paul talked about. And so I'm going to tell you something that you already know. Peace will not come when Jupiter aligns with Mars. And order will not come when the greatest leader the world has ever seen takes center stage in the Antichrist. Man will not continue to get better morally, socially, or spiritually. Even though science will increase at an incredible rate. Romans 1 really diagnoses man's problem in one long but powerful sentence. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I heard a preacher once say, God created man in his own image and man returned the favor. And I agree with Pastor Phil, peace will not come. True peace 
So the Prince of Peace comes, and I hope that thrills your heart just thinking about it. But when we get to Matthew 24, where we are in this passage, we are smack dab in the middle of the tribulation. And so you're going to see out of the bad news of the tribulation, and there's a lot of bad news. You know, when you read chapter 6 to about chapter 16, it's heavy. And there's a lot of death and plagues and things going on and judgments from God. You remember in July we talked about the tribulation that soon will come upon the earth. It's a seven-year period where God will bring tremendous judgment on those who are rejecting Christ. And he'll also be saving Jew and Gentile who turn to Christ. But it's a terrible time. And we also talked about there's coming a time, we call it the rapture of the church. Before the tribulation, God is, Christ is coming to catch away his church. Graves will rise and then we will rise to meet the Lord in the air. And he will take us home to a place that he has prepared for us. And then he will turn his attention for those seven years on the earth to judge sin and to save people that turn to him. The reason why he keeps saying that is because he is going to judge sin, but he is going to save uh, people who will turn to him. People ask me all the time, when do you think Christ will come back? Do you think Christ is... I always say what Jesus said. Oh, soon, soon. You say you have a prediction? I'm like, no, I don't have a prediction. But there has been no shortage of nutty Christians who have spun the prophetic wheel and set dates that never happen. In my generation alone, there's so many you can't even keep track. One of them that stands out, and I know you'll know this one because uh, it hasn't been all that long ago, Edgar Wissonnet, who was a former NASA engineer and a Bible student, he predicted that the rapture would occur in 1988. Matter of fact, September 11th to the 13th. How many of you remember that? He called his book... 88 reasons why the rapture would be in 88. Just an incredible title. Um, uh, He sold 4.5 million copies of that book. I may or may not have bought one. Um, And he says, only if the Bible is an error am I wrong. And I would stake my life on this prediction. He wrote three more books in 1989. 1993 and 1994 before he closed his prophetic briefcase and shamefully retired from doing what the Bible says not to do. It really does say not to do that. Listen to Matthew 13. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. No one knows except the Father. Now hang on. What about Jesus? Is Jesus walking around in heaven right now not knowing something? Think about that. Because if he's walking around heaven right now not knowing something, that scares me. And so listen, I think when Jesus came down to earth and he became the God-man, 
It's called the humiliation of Christ. When he came down and became a man, I think, Bible teaches, he voluntarily restricted the use of his attributes and worked through the power of the Holy Spirit while on earth. He voluntarily, he didn't cease to become God, but he just voluntarily restricted the use of his independent attributes. And you see all through the scripture, he's working through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he died, and then he rose again. And Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name which is above every name. He knows everything fully now, including the time he will return And when we get to Matthew 24, we see an incredible thing that God does for the world. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. How is that going to happen? Just like I said on my own sermon back there, how is God going to get the gospel to the entire world with the Antichrist killing every Christian who believes on the Lord? And remember, this is the middle of the tribulation. You see, I thought the tribulation was a time when God smashes to pieces all those who don't believe in him. It is a time when he judges severely. But I want you to walk out of here knowing that it's also a time that he saves completely those who turn to him. Those who turn to him. So God is a God of judgment, but he is also a God of grace, love, and mercy. And you'll see that today. One writer said, it's a time of unparalleled judgment, and it's also a time of unparalleled grace and salvation. As a matter of fact, even among all the turmoil and the tribulation and all the seals being released and the trumpets and those bold judgments, there will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. And my task this morning is to show you that. So let's get busy. I've been waiting four months for this. God's grace is first seen in the rapture of the church. Some call it the secret rapture, but there's nothing secret about the rapture, okay? One writer says there's nothing secret about this. It's going to be the domino that affects everything and puts all prophetic events in motion. So there'll be a time... Remember I told you a few months ago, there's good people on every side. Some people believe we'll be taken before the tribulation. Some people think we'll be taken in the middle. Some people think we'll be taken at the end. I happen to believe the Bible teaches that we'll be taken before. And just get the sermon on that. Um, But I had a question. The world will know that Christians are gone, but most won't care. Most will be very unconcerned about Christians being gone. You know, we're usually the ones who are the killjoys, the ones who love Christ, the ones who stand up for righteousness, so I don't think the world will really care. But not all people will be unconcerned about the rapture. There will be people who wake up from their spiritual stupor and who come to Christ not long after the rapture. Remembering what... They were taught in Sunday school what their parents taught them, what their pastor taught them. And they'll call upon the name of the Lord and they'll be saved. Many will, like Luke 15, the prodigal son, many will come to their senses and trust Christ. There will be uh, numerous theories about how we disappeared. 
And there's so many of them. Global warming, aliens. You used to laugh at aliens. Now it's a very serious subject, right? I could talk for probably 11 or 12 seconds on it. Um, <laughs> but there'll be theories about how such a large part of our population has vanished. And no doubt this will cause emotional pain for people, economic chaos, maybe even economic collapse, which explains how the Antichrist in the tribulation rises so fast to power. And a common question I get a lot, will people who heard the gospel before the rapture get a chance to respond to it in the tribulation? And there's good people on both sides of this too. Some say if you hear the gospel on earth once, you won't get another chance in the tribulation. And they use verse 11 of 2 Thessalonians 2. And for this reason, God will send them, them being those who are rejecting the gospel and following the Antichrist, he'll send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie and they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, I thought about asking this question, but I'm not going to, but... If I ask the question, did you believe the gospel the very first time you heard it? I bet a small percentage would raise their hand. I bet for the most part, if I asked you, did you believe the gospel uh, maybe the 10th or after 20 presentations, you'd say, yeah, I'm probably there. And it's true. So I think what this passage is talking about is the hard-hearted, blasphemous person who hears the gospel, he rejects the gospel, his heart is hard, and he follows the Antichrist. Matter of fact, it says, it says that they should believe the lie. And I think the lie right there is actually thinking the Antichrist is God and actually worshiping him and taking the mark and being condemned forever. And so I don't think this is somebody who hears the gospel a few times on this earth. They go into the tribulation. I think Romans 10, 13 still stands in the tribulation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now listen, you're saying that's giving people an out. or That's, that's just people are going to depend on saying, well, I'll just wait for the tribulation and accept Christ then. If you're rejecting Christ this morning... And you've heard the gospel time and time again. I just want to tell you. I just want to warn you. Your heart is starting to harden. And you could get to the point where you keep rejecting and keep rejecting and keep rejecting. And then you become 2 Thessalonians 2.11. Where God judicially hardens your heart. And you go into the tribulation and you can't believe the gospel. Because you've hardened your heart. So I say it's spiritual suicide. I say, what shall profit a man in Mark 8, 36? It says that he, that he should gain the world and yet forfeit his own soul. Can you imagine forfeiting your own soul? So I beg people, don't wait to come to Christ. Come to Christ now. But people will be coming to Christ when they call upon the name of the Lord and repent. Number two, in the severe judgments, God's amazing grace is seen. 
You're like, really? You're going to have to show me that. Well, after Christ opens the scroll in, in Revelation 5, that's the title deed to the earth, and it's these judgments opening up. You've got the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments. The seal judgments are over a period of months. The trumpet judgments are probably a period of weeks. And then the bowl judgments are like a period of days. They're right at the end, and they come staccato, boom, 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 boom. They're just very fast and very violent uh, at the end. After he opens the scroll, the judgments begin to be devastating and horrific. Each one is intended to judge man's unbelief, and yet each one is intended to get man's attention. But some people thinking, I don't see that. I don't see how these judgments are God offering them salvation. Do people during the tribulation even know it's God bringing all this devastation? Revelation 6.14, as they are in pain... And horror, they're saying, hide us from the wrath of the what? The lamb. They know. They know where the judgment's coming from. Some people ask, will God give them a chance to repent? Yes. Look at 921 in Revelation. It says, they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts. Now, follow me. 16.8 says... The fourth and fifth bowl judgment, that's right at the end. They did not repent and give him glory. That phrase, they did not repent, if means at least they were given a chance to repent. They were given a chance to repent if it says they did not repent, right? And so these people were given a chance to repent, and many of them did not. Uh, number three, in the 144,000 Jewish evangelists of Revelation 7, God does something so incredible during the tribulation, probably right at the beginning of the tribulation, just to show his great love for the world. He seals 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from every 12 tribes. And he puts his seal and his mark on them so they cannot be harmed. And it shows that they're his possession Look at it, it says, after these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth or the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And it's not clear when these guys were saved, but it was probably saved. These men were saved at the beginning of the tribulation. You know, there's so many views of the 144,000. Don't look online, please. Just look in your Bible. But Jehovah Witnesses say that they are all the faithful Christians from Pentecost to the present time. That's the 144,000. The Mormons say it's the high priests in their priestly order of the Mormon church. Now, I'm no genius, but verse 4 answers who they are. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel, okay? These are Jews. Jews coming to Christ is a big deal. Have you ever met a Jew that's come to Christ? They know the Old Testament. They know the feasts. They know all the promises. They're incredible witnesses, and you're going to have, and I have a note here, 
They would talk about the promised Messiah, his coming, his prediction, his death, resurrection, their refusal to believe in him at the beginning, and now how God's opened their eyes. Can you imagine how fruitful and powerful their ministry is going to be? If you combine the Apostle Paul's knowledge of the Old Testament with Billy Graham's passion for souls, you're going to have this 144,000, and they're going to go out into all the world and share the gospel. And the seal showed that they would, God sealed them. They were God's possession, and nothing could hurt them till God's mission for them was done. And some commentators think that these 144,000 are just ushered into the millennium and they teach and they lead people to Christ in the millennium that are born. I think that's, I agree with that. So, can you imagine how the Antichrist and Satan wants these men murdered or martyred? Well, were they successful? Look at Revelation 7, 9. This is right after they sealed these 144,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Were they successful? A multitude that no one could count. There are people in heaven. Now, here's the first thing I thought. How did they get to heaven so fast? Well, in verse 13 and 14, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They were martyred. So, 144,000 are preaching the gospel. And all these people are getting saved. And then the Antichrist is killing all these people. And then they are at the throne of God in palm branches, worshiping the Lord. It's incredible. So if you ever have somebody tell you that God doesn't save a lot of people during the tribulation, take them to Revelation 7 and say, it seems like he does. Well, we're not done. This is one of my favorites. The two witnesses. Number four in Revelation 11. God raises up two witnesses to prophesy for 1260 days or three and a half years. Probably the first three and a half years. These men are like Marvel superheroes. They will be able to breathe fire, destroy people who try to harm them. They can turn off the rain, turn water into blood. And as 11.6 says, they can strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. These guys are wearing sackcloth, which they are repentant. They are repenting. They are humble. They are brokenhearted over the sins of the tribulation. Some think they could be Moses and Elijah, but for all we know, they could be Phil Byers and John Blodgett. (laughs) Whoever they are, They prophesied and they preached for three and a half years and their ministry is fruitful and it's powerful. But something happens at the midpoint of the tribulation. Revelation 11, when they finish their testimony, the beast, or when you see the word beast, that's the Antichrist, that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them. He will overcome them and he will kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, 
where also our Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is so bad at this point, they're calling it Sodom and Egypt. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies for three and a half days, and they will not allow their dead bodies to be put in graves. That is, a, that is blasphemous to a Jew not to bury a dead body. And so they leave these men laying out in the street. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, making merry and sending gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Did they have an impact? Absolutely they did. The whole world gazed at their dead bodies. And that word gazed means gazed with celebration. They were so glad these men were dead because the gospel being preached to them was torment. It was tormenting them to hear the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. One writer I was reading said they give cards to each other. It says they celebrated. They give gifts to one another. Happy Dead Witnesses Day. And then God is not boring. He has a wonderful sense of humor. Listen to, now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. In that same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell in the earthquake. 7,000 people were killed. And the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now that seems like an absolute catastrophe. 7,000 people were killed. Probably Antichrist's entourage. A tenth of the city fell with the great earthquake. But I want you to look at that one phrase. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to God. This means they came to Christ. Remember when it says, let your light shine before men so men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven? Whenever you see that and they glorify God which is in heaven and they were unsaved, they became Christians in this in this passage, they gave glory to the God of heaven. They repented and they were saved. The rest, they heard the message of the, uh, they heard the message of the witnesses and they saw the earthquake and they saw the city fall and they saw the, the 7,000 people and they were so afraid and God used that fear to turn into faith became Christians. You know, we have a lot of stories to hear when we get to heaven. You're going to run into people. You know, they're going to say, how are you saved? You're going to say, I was saved, you know, here. How were you saved? I was saved during the tribulation. <coughs> Great earthquake. 7,000 people fell, died right before my very eyes. And God shook the world so hard. It was absolutely incredible, frightening. My heart almost stopped. And then I realized those two witnesses were talking about Jesus Christ and he's the only one that could save me from my sins. So I repented. I repented of my sins. So now you know. So you'd be able to shake your head instead of explain it more to me. Um, well, I love the next one also, number five. 
God's amazing grace is seen in the angelic evangelism. You've heard of EE, right? Evangelism explosion. This is angelic evangelism. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs and water. Listen, God goes to the nth degree to get the gospel to every person. Ezekiel 33, 11 still applies. Listen to this. As I live, declares the Lord, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so God goes out of his way. This is right at the end when the bold judgments are, are, are hitting the earth in a horrible way. God in his grace sent an angel to fly over the earth. I don't know how long this takes. I don't know how this happens. I don't know if it's Gabriel or Michael. But they are preaching the gospel. You know, sometimes I hear atheists say, you know, if God would give me a sign, like if he put a cross in the sky or start preaching the gospel from heaven, I'm like, that's it. He's going to. An angel is going to be thundering throughout the world, the entire world, just in case someone has not heard of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to hear it there. And so another story you will hear is, I heard the gospel from the clouds. I'm not sure where it came from. Found out later it was an angel preaching the everlasting gospel. God is such a God of grace, isn't he? He's the God of all grace and love and mercy. And I hope you're seeing that this morning. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Finally, God's amazing grace is seen in the book of Revelation itself. Think about this. All the people who have read and heeded the warnings of Revelation in the last 2,000 years. Think of all the people who will read the book of Revelation out of sheer panic and horror. And gloriously come to Christ during the tribulation because of God's mercy. You know Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep written what is in it. For the time is near. It's given comfort to those who are being persecuted for Christ's sake. And warnings to those who are rejecting God's great gift of salvation. There are a number of frightening verses in Revelation. Most of Revelation is frightening. So hopefully I've made it less frightening for you when you keep thinking amazing grace right to the very end. But there's one in Revelation 16, 17 that just pierces your heart. It says the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. Remember, the bowl judgments, they're the very last ones and they come within days. They're just hitting the earth so violent and so fast. And I heard, and the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, 
rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there has never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. And the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered all of Babylon's sins, and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Will you notice that it doesn't say, and they did not repent of their deeds? It is done reminds me of the phrase, that Jesus uttered. Remember when he said, it is finished. But Jesus was not talking about the end of the age. He was talking about his work on the cross, that man could be right before God. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved, and he bore our sins on the cross. And we said it, it is finished on that cross. He was saying, the work that needed to be done to bring sinful man forgiveness has been accomplished by this cross that I'm hanging on today. First Peter 2.24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we being dead to sin might live to righteousness and by his wounds we are healed. I have a note, you don't have to work for your salvation, but I'd like to change that. You can't work for your salvation. You can't. As a matter of fact, not a trillion good deeds on your part would earn you one breath in heaven. But calling on the name of the Lord would blot all your sins away and give you an eternity of breaths in heaven. I think of Isaiah 1, I think it's 18 or 19 when he says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins may be like scarlet, they will be like snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's what God wants to do in a life of a sinner. He wants to make a sinful heart white as snow in forgiving you. But the it is done in this passage of Revelation 16 is not talking about the cross. It's a pronouncement by the angel and it means all the invitations are done. All the sermons in Revelation are done. There's no more pleadings, no more preaching, no more miraculous signs from heaven, no more angelic messages throughout the whole world. There's only one thing that a person will hear when this is done. And it's the eight most frightening words ever uttered. And it's, depart from me, for I never knew you. So it is done means there's no more chances. So when I say amazing grace, right to the very end, this is the very end. So when people say I'll make it through the tribulation. It's like, a, you know, they, people watch video games right now, Call of Duty and all these things, and they're just like, I think it'd be cool. I think it'd be cool. 
And what I say is, you know, your generation plays video games and you have a bunch of lives, right? And when you're playing that video game, you're like, okay, I still have five lives, four lives, three lives. But when you're in the tribulation, you have one life. And when you lose that life, you have forfeited your soul and you are separated from Christ forever. Well, believe it or not, there's a happy ending <laughs> to the book of Revelation is found in the last invitation, 22:12. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. And it ends with this beautiful message from Christ himself. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. What a wonderful invitation. You're probably thinking, wait a minute, I thought you said it. It is done. Yes, but you're not at the end of the age. You're right here, right now. So if you're online or if you don't know Christ this morning, Paul calls it, today is the day for salvation. So the invitation is for you while you're hearing and breathing and thinking and reasoning. The grace of God is offered to you as long as you're thinking, as long as you're breathing. God's giving you breath in your lungs. And he says, let him who is thirsty come. Are you thirsty? I have a note here. Have you tried the water that the world is serving you and are you still unsatisfied? Six months ago, I was talking to a loved one we were talking and they had been away from the Lord, kind of walked away from the Lord for at least 15 years and they were telling me, you know, I thought something could replace that, 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 that void. But I still haven't found anything that replaces that. And they said, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm coming back to God. I'm just telling you, I haven't found something yet that will satisfy that, that spiritual thirst. And I'm like, thank you for your honesty. You never will. Jesus Christ is the only one that could satisfy that spiritual thirst. Amen. You remember the woman at the well when Jesus was talking to her? He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I'm talking to Christians now. Have you ever regretted committing your life to Jesus Christ? Have you been totally satisfied with him and his presence and his love for you and his care for you? Not that you haven't had times. We all have when you're in the desert and you don't sense his presence. But for the most part, he says, whoever believes on the Lord will not be disappointed. Amen. Totally satisfied. 
I put this at the end of the outline, and I pray if you don't know Christ online or here, that you look at it this week, and it maybe would bother your seeking heart, and maybe you'd listen to this sermon again, or get with somebody uh, that can lead you to Christ, or we'll have our prayer teams up here, and they can pray with you and instruct you in the way to come to Christ. And I will be up here too. But I ended it with, God is a God of judgment. And he will keep his word on everything he has promised. But he is also a God of love, mercy, and grace. And he offers that to you every single day that you are alive on this earth. Don't miss it. Let's all stand. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace, your amazing grace. I think that of that hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but you washed it white as snow. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the grace we see in Revelation. I thank you for the grace we see every single day of our lives. I pray that it would encourage hearts that know you. And I pray that it would challenge and convict hearts that are right now rejecting you. God, put a stone in their shoe in the sense that they would come back and listen to this again and again. And get someone uh, who knows Christ. And I pray that people would be saved today for your glory. So they would be taken. And they would be with the Father uh, forever. For it's in your precious name. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a great week.